Boker Tov. Uh, today's staff is Tetra 15. We pick up on the very top of Yudal Amadbet, the Mishnah. And we are continuing with these Mishnayot, which are very cryptic um, and written almost in a different type, in a, uh, in a more... Uh, an, um, you know, archaic language. One wonders, again, I know there's scholarship on it exactly, the assumption being that these Mishnayot are very early Mishnayot. One can appreciate in terms of their um, their more opaqueness here what an amazing job Rebbe did in, <laughs> in editing and organizing the Mishnah that most Mishnayot and Shas don't sound like this. But here we go with another Mishnah that is very uh, terse and cryptic and the Gemara is going to unpack um, which tries to sort of give some general principles in terms of what is the liability for damages. So let's take a look. Top of Yudal Amitzbet. Shum Kesef, Shove Kesef, an assessment of money, an equivalence of money, Bisnei Beistin, in the presence of a, of, of a Beistin, Val Piedim, and based on the testimony of witnesses, the Necharim, the Nebris, free people who are of the covenant, the Anoshim Bechlal Hanezek, women are included in damages, Vanizek Ve'amazek Petashlumim, and the damagee and the damager participate in the payment. Well, that's clear enough. Okay? <laughs> it's almost like a little bit of a poem or something, okay? And now you have to figure out what it all means. So let's see. The Gemara will figure out what it means. Okay? My Shum Kesef. Let's start with the first one. An assessment of money. I'm going to you Shum when you assess the loss, you should do it in based on the uh, dollar amount. Um, um, so, Tanina Lodzatan we taught in our mission of what was said more explicitly in a bright up. Para Shizika Talit, Vitali Shizika Para, a Para and a Talis got into a fight. Who do you think is going to win? So, anyway, apparently they damaged one another. The Talis, uh, the, the, the Para slipped on the Talis. It was a type of a boar, Bushus Arabim. The, 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 the cow either gored or tore up or ate the Talis, and they did damage to one another. Tosin figures out exactly where is it that this happened. Right? If the Talis, your Chaifer, that would be Nurshus Arabim. If the para ate the talus and it's a type of a shein, that would have to be birshut hanizach. So maybe it's gored the talus, or maybe it was an eating that's a not natural type of an eating. Anyway, we're not going to worry about that. But they did damage to one another. Okay. Um, Don't just say, eh, you know, we'll just call the whole thing a swap. Okay. No. You don't just say, well, you know, there was damage to the damage to the para. We'll just say it's all evened out. No, no, no. You figure out how much damage to the para. To, to, to the talus, how much damage to the uh, para, and you figure out the difference, and whoever has the balance of the difference pays the difference. Now, this all seems relatively obvious, like, why logically should I have thought of doing anything else? Um, so, Tosa says that, the, that there, there's two chidushim here. Chidush number one is, is that, um, that if he sort of sees it's not as the same scenario, but a different scenarios. So, number one is that the para damaged the talus. Okay? So, or let, let's actually start the other way. The talus, no, the para damaged, okay, the para damaged the talus. So the chiddush here is, wait, let me just test this again to remind myself. Um, right, so if the para damaged the talus, you have to pay for the damage to the talus. Now, if the Torah did this, if it was a Karen and it was a Tom, let everybody remember, what's the halach about a Karen Tom? You pay half the value and up to what? 
up to the value of the of the actual goring animal itself. Now we are going to see in a little bit that there's going to be a debate between Rabbi Akiva and Rabbi Ishmael whether when you whether the, the idea that that money gets paid out of the body of the animal itself. It's not just limited to the value of the animal, but does it actually get paid out of the body of the animal itself? You become a part owner in the cow. And Rabbi Akiva says that as soon as your cow gores my cow, I automatically become a part owner in your cow. It's not just you owe me money. I now own a percentage of your cow automatically. That's like a Ginegra issue. Well... Right? You, you, you donate something, you own it. You, type of no, no, no. It's the opposite. The, you are the mazik. Your animal gored... Let's even say you think gored my cow. Your, your, your ox gored my sheep right. for $100. I now owe $100 of your ox. It's the opposite. You did the bad thing to me and now I owe something oh, of yours. Okay? So that's Rabbi Akiva's idea. Rabbi Akiva's idea is that you automatically own a piece of the goring ox. It's called Yuchlach Hashur. So Tosa says that's what we're saying is not true. This Mishnah is teaching against Rabbi Akiva. It's saying you don't say Tetze Parabitalis means you don't just get an ownership of the cow. The guy owes you the money. It's limited to the value of the cow but it does not translate into direct ownership of the cow. Okay? So that's one part of the Chiddush here. That even in the case of a goring ox, not like Rebbe Akiva, you pay money, it does not become an ownership in the cow. What about the other Chiddush? The other Chiddush is, is that my talus caused your ox to slip. You don't get an ownership of the talus. Now, why is that a Chiddush? Right? Of course you don't get an ownership of the talus. So, I mean, I owe you the money. It's a bore. So Tosa says, no. The Chiddush here is the following. Is, let me again just double check Tosvos. Um, oh, the Chiddush is the following. Is that, yes, the owner of the, of the talus has to pay you for your hundred dollars of damage for your ox. But we're going to see in a minute, let's say the owner died, and he has, then you could have to collect from the orphans, the heirs. You can only collect from things you have liens on. You can't, and if he has no landed property, you're out your damages, right? You only, it's only, it's only liens, and if he's not alive, you can all, then you're out. So here you might want to say, look, maybe I should say the following. Maybe I should say that at least I have rights to the actual talus itself that did the damage. So even though though I can't he has no land property and I have no liens and I can't collect from the orphans come on like at least I should be able to seize the actual talus that did the damage itself and the answer is no you don't do that either it's just a it's just a m- amount of money that is owed to you so the chiddush is in both ways the bigger chiddush is if the ox is a gorer you don't say like Rabbi Akiva you own the ox no the owner of the ox owes you money you don't own the ox but in the flip case as well, if the talus is a well, is a well. If the talus is a bore and it slips on the talus, you have no rights to the talus, even if it means you're going to be out money because the guy is dead and he and he and he didn't leave any land. But you all the the debt here, the, what you owe is in terms of cash, not in terms of the damaging objects. Yes, Johnson. Does the lawsuit really support that? It's something. And there's an assessment of, of money and it's paid with something that has the value of money without right. something you actually pay with money. Right. Well, we're going to get to the next part of the Shavakas, of the value of money. But the point here is, you're right, you don't have to pay cash, but the point is is that you owe, what you owe is a dollar amount. How you pay it is a different question. But the point is, as opposed to saying, no, it excludes the idea of, your ox scored me, I owe your ox. I own your ox. No, no, you don't own my ox. You owe me money. Your ox scored me to, to the damage of $100. Right. And I, and I, and I, and no, but the way we frame it is, your liability is defined as 
you owe me $100. Now, maybe I can collect from certain types of property, maybe you could pay me certain types of property, but it is defined as the amount of money you owe me, as opposed to translating immediately into ownership of your ox, ownership of my talus. No, but that's a different concept, meaning to say you owe money and what's the, uh, what's the type you pay with is consistent with the concept of I owe money. To say I owe money and therefore you're an automatic partner in some of my property is a completely different idea. So that seems to be what the Gemara is interpreting the mission. Yes. It doesn't sound like this is anything that we didn't know already anyway. I mean, like, we never thought that you would, but at least I Well, first of all, there's a debate of Rabbi Akiva, Rabbi Shmel, so this mission is coming down on one side of it. Anyway, I, I, I can't worry too much about that. It's a very cryptic Mishnah. Okay? So we're, we're trying to give some reasonable read of it. Shona uh, Kesef. Now, you pay with money equivalent. Now, that should, would have seemed to be like the idea we said before that you can even pay with, like, you know, with uh, what I call paper clips with Subin. Okay, let's see what the Gemara does with this, however. The Tanur Abanan. The Gemara, interestingly, gives a completely different read of it. Shabbat Kesef. So, we have a brighter that interprets this. It's Again, it's, by the way, it's fascinating, isn't it? That you have a later Tanaitic source interpreting an earlier cryptic Tanaitic source. Right? And that you have sometimes I have. Like, even I've pointed this out before, sometimes even within a Mishnah, you have an early layer of a Mishnah that's being elaborated and explained and given parameters by the later Tanayim that are mentioned in the Mishnah. Here you have a Breita that is explaining that what clearly was this very early cryptic uh, sort of Tanaitic source about what the payment was. Okay? Later. No, but it's the, no, but it's the framing The Breita is explicitly commenting on what that phrase means. It's not just teaching a halacha. What does Shavah Basin only will sort of, you know, sort of uh, uh, deal with, you know, sort of take, uh, seize property when it's dealing with uh, property that has liens, meaning land. So interesting, Shavakasaf here means land. It never meant land before. And anyway, why is that true? If the, if the Mazik is around, I should be able to collect from whatever property he has. Okay? Aval, in Kadamnizak Vatafas, Matapulin, Bastin Govin Lomahet. So Bastin will only seize land, but if the Nizak grabs a chattel from the Mazik without Bastin actually directly seizing it, then the Bastin will allow the Nizak to take, to keep the chattel that he has seized. So this is bizarre. A, why does, why does Shavakasif mean land? But B, why should the Bastin be limited to taking land? Right? Normally the land issue is if the Mazik isn't around. It's his heirs or it's his people that bought property from him, but if the Mazik is around, why should the basin be limited? So let's take a look at what the Gemara says. Gemara is going to work through both of these. Um, okay. Amamar, let's go unpack this. My Nashma, since when does land mean, Shavakasif mean land? Something that is worth, you know, as much money in the world, has no fixed price to it. Okay? And what is it? My new, it would be land. Because land, there's no overcharging for land, because land, you know, there's no way of setting a fixed market price for it. And it's also just in a formal way excluded from the Parsha of Ona'ah. And therefore, it's called Shavak because it, like, can be worth uh, an exorbitant amount. Well, we so, saw, uh, yes. You know, a few days ago, we were going to the office of the price. Mm. The prices for land. 
or there's fixed categories at least, right? There's idiots, whatever, right? So here it's I guess the difference between a fixed price and a type of a category. Anyway, it's a it's a hard read as the Gemara is going to say. There's also no prohibition of overcharging by slaves and. Uh, and, 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 you know, documents of debt. Ella Amarav, so therefore clearly doesn't only mean land. Ella Amarav, Amarula, Dabar Nikneb, Bikhasef. Okay, Shavakasef means a type of property that is acquired with money, as opposed to Mashiach and Hagba. So land is acquired with money. It says, Avadim Vishars, Nami Nikneb, Bikhasef. Slaves and Shars are also acquired with money. Now, Rashi and Tosa say it's not so clear where Shtaras are acquired with money. Shtaras here does not mean like you're buying a, a manuscript of, uh, of, uh, you know, of the first folio of Shakespeare. Shtaras here means it's an IOU document so you're transferring the debt so that really doesn't work with money there's other ways in which you transfer debt anyway doesn't matter at least a Vadim acquired with money so to what degree does Shava Kesef just mean land so Ella Amaravashi no Shava Kesef Zillow Kesef it means something that's like money but not really money Vahani Kulu Kesef Ninu and all chattel is considered to be like money like cash it goes back to Gemara's point earlier right that the idea of Metav going back you know Dove referenced the earlier Gemara when you pay land you have to pay the best quality but when you pay shadow you can pay even like the Gemara says brand you know what I call paper clips you can pay junk okay because the Gemara assumes that stuff that you can move around can be more easily liquidated and transferred into money than land can so everything that's shadow is considered to be kesef the thing that's like money is land okay again that's not normally how we use the term shava kesef actually we most classically use for chattel that isn't cash okay but for some bizarre reason the Gemara or the Gemara is explaining the Brita, the Brita for some bizarre reasons, reads Shavakesef to refer to land. The easiest read of the Mishnah, by the way, is not like the Brita. Shavakesef means what we've been saying all along. You don't have to pay in cash. You can pay in any type of chattel. Right? Even Subin. Right? But the Brita reads it as land. Okay, so somehow it means land. Now that it means land, we have to explain why this halacha makes sense. Okay? Rami Ra Rav Yudabar Chinana Lulav Hunabrayed Rav Yoshua Tanah Shavakesef Mulamikein Basin Nitzkakim Lulachasim Jeshlam Achrayas So this Brita says that you can only seize land in payment of a nezek damages. Tanya, but the Brisa that we've been dealing with for the beginning of the parak teaches Yashiv, you should return the money anything of equivalent even bran so Yomar says no alright you're right when we're talking about that you can obey and will only seize property it means that the mazik isn't alive anymore if the mazik is alive he can pay with anything and Basin presumably could seize whatever they could seize but if the mazik isn't alive then they have to get from his property that has lien on it. So they'll go to the heirs. The heirs are not directly obligated in their father's debts. It's only stuff they inherited from the estate. And not only stuff they inherited from the estate, only land that they inherited from the estate. And therefore, when the basin is dealing with heirs, with orphans, that's when they can only get land. So, land with lit, liens liens. Well, it automatically has liens. If you cause damage to my property, I automatically get liens on your land. Okay? So the Gemara says, Biyasmi. E Biyasmi, if it's orphans, so I went ahead somebody damaged me he died he left orphans he, I, he doesn't have any land so I'm just going to sneak into his house one day and steal his uh, VCR or something okay I know people don't have VCRs anymore I'm sorry okay <laughs> I'm going to steal his iPad okay I'm gonna, okay so anyway so then Basin will let me keep it so now why is that true I didn't have a lien on it 
um, the guy himself is dead. Why do I have rights to the uh, to the to the guy's iPad? Okay, uh, whether it's the orphans or the fathers, I still don't have a right to it. So the Gemara says, um, my So why does Basin let me keep it just because I grabbed it? If it's orphans, so because ah, I saw the guy was about to die. So what I did was, and I saw he didn't have any land. So so I went to pay him a call at the hospital, and while nobody was looking, I I took his iPad, all right. Well, I took his laptop computer and now I grabbed it while he was alive so normally that wouldn't be acceptable like why can I seize property in a debt that's owed to me before I've gone through the normal channels of going through a based in now having based in be the one to make sure the guy pays but at the end of the day now he died and I have property that I took while he was alive and when he was alive he directly owed me the money so therefore we're willing to see that now as payment for the money he owed me even though I should have gone through more proper channels, okay, but I took it when he was alive and when he directly owed me the money. So the same way they said that, they say that over there, we'll say that here. Yes, so. Is, is this an example for, uh, for example of So that's a good question. I'm actually going to get to a really interesting at the bottom of Tesrava Mudbet if we get there, but to some degree this might, yes. I mean, because either... He, I mean, I don't need to go to Basin. He can pay me for the debt without Basin having to seize it, right? I mean, he'd be smart to get witnesses to show that he paid me for the debt, so I didn't try to go ahead and sue him Basin later. <laughs> but for me to go and seize his property, yes, that is like a type of a classic we'll see that later on. Okay, so that's a good point. Alright, so now the Gemara says, so that's Shum Kesef and Shava Kesef, where Shum Kesef was, as Michael said before, not so clear what Kiddush it was. Shava Kesef or, uh, is a being given a read by a brighter, which is very strange. We would have just said it meant you can pay any type of chattel. And now the next part. Bisnei Bastin. In the presence of a court. So, this, we're getting back to the whole lean idea. This would mean that if I went ahead and sold all my property, and only then you took me to court, that I would sort of say, well, like, uh, tough luck. Like, I did, you know, you have no problem. I, 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 meaning, I sold all my property, and then I spent all the money. So, you take me to court, and now I'm a pauper, and you're out. Okay? So, you have to catch me in court before I sell my property. So, the court says, one minute. Why are you out? Why don't you, if I, if some of the property I sold was land, you should be able to go and to collect that land. You have a lien on it. So, Shmamin, are we supposed to infer from this that that if I, you, let's say it was another case, it wasn't Nezek. Let's say I borrowed money from you and then I sold all my property, including my land, and then I wasted all my money, gambled it all away, and you took me to Basin. You wouldn't be out. You'd be able to go and collect based on the liens. You don't need Basin. The liens get created. The point of this is that the liens get created automatically. As soon as you damage me, I have liens on your property. As soon as I borrow money, you borrow money from me, I have liens on your property. Basin does not create the liens. Basin can help me in exercising the liens, but they don't create it. So even if after you borrowed, I borrowed money, I sold away all my property, or after I damaged you, I sold it all away, that, and only then we went to Basin, that doesn't mean you don't have those liens. Basin will go help you collect the land that I sold away. So the says, what logic is this to say that you should not be able to collect the land just because I did it all before we got to base it? So the Gemara says, fine. That's not what 
talking about. Ella pratla basin had yotos. Bisnei basin means that it has to be a basin of a real basin, a basin of smich, that has smicha. The smicha is not what we talked to today about smicha. It means the type of a smicha that goes back to Moshe Rabbeinu, which empowers people to deal with capital crimes and with knasot. And it cannot be a basin that's empowered of commoners, meaning empowered only to deal with dine mumness. Now the question is, why not? We are dealing with dine mumness. Because there are some things here that are knas. For example, we're going to get to it, but the big question about paying half by the goring ox, that might be considered a knas. There might be other types of personal injury elements of that that are considered a knas. So one of the things that this is implying is that there are times when you need a full-fledged basin, a basin of, of uh, with smicha, not a basin of hediotos. Okay? Al-pi-edim, and through witnesses, now, why do you say witnesses? Of course, everything needs a basin. Everything needs witnesses. What's the Chiddush here? So the Chiddush is, Again, we're assuming we'll be dealing with a case of a knas, let's say a case of a goring ox, or certain cases of personal injury. And therefore, in those cases of a knas, the same way you need a basin that has smicha, you need to have witnesses, and even my own self-admission cannot make me obligated in a fine. This is the important difference between a fine, a knas, and mamon. A fine is a punishment sort of done through money. But conceptually, it is the same as lashes, right? You know, lashes is a punishment done on my body, and fine is a punishment done to my wallet. Okay, but it's basically a type of a punishment. So that punishment, in order for the court to be able to impose a punishment on you, um, A, they need a certain degree of authority. They need to have this smicha. They can't be head yotos. They have to more like represent divine authority. That's the idea of smicha. It's So, you know, to sort of impose punishments on people, they have to have that type of authority, number one. I mean, that's always a question like political philosophers ask, like, you know, what, what, what gives the state the right to, you know, use force against its citizens? Right? What sort of the philosophical underpinning. You know, in halacha, it's obviously, it's fact, well, they represent God. They're Elohim. Okay, so they need that authority, that smicha, to impose a punishment. Also, though, punishments need objective testimony that the person is deserving of punishment. And if you try to admit it yourself, in aid out of Macy Matsmo, Russia. It's like, sort of like, sort of taking the idea of the, uh, what's it, the fifth, not the fifth amendment, the, uh, yeah, the fifth, the fifth amendment, taking the fifth amendment one step further. The fifth amendment gives you a right to not self-incriminate. But if you went ahead and self-incriminated, you're stuck with that, right? The halacha says, even if you try to self-incriminate, we ignore what you said, Okay, when it comes to when not when it comes to civil liability, but when it comes to criminal or imposing of punishment, it needs to be objective. So, if we are talking here to include cases of knas, the same way you need a basin of smicha, you need aidim only, and your own self admission will not be able to impose a knas. Now, not only can it not impose a knas, there's even going to be opinions later on, which the Gemara references here, that if later witnesses come. You, because you admitted it first, you don't have to pay the knas even if witnesses come later. Now, that doesn't apply by lashes. By lashes, you'd have to get the punishment. Okay, but by at least monetary fines, if you admitted it on your own. And that's sort of seen, presumably what that's based on is seeing that the purpose of a monetary fine might be primarily to, make, to, to, to sort of, you know, compel you to come forward and to admit. So therefore, if you go ahead and you sort of admit on your own and you didn't need the witnesses, right, then there, maybe there's no longer any fine. But that's complicated because some fines, ha- like, like 
don't seem to be that's what it's about. The reason when your ox scores me, you pay half damages, it's not just to get you to obsess up. Like, presumably, I'm supposed to try to get some type of compensation, even if technically you're exempt. Anyway, there is this idea, which we'll explore later, that is debated, but, that is set, but there is an opinion that if you admit to a fine and witnesses come later, you're completely off the hook. Of course, so the best thing to do is if you incurred a fine, just run to court and admit it. Okay, so anyway, that's what we're saying it's, we're talking about. To exclude a case of admitting to a fine and then witnesses come, that you're exempt. It has to be completely based on witnesses. That's good if that's the opinion that we take. According to the one that says that if witnesses come later, you're chayev. Michael Lamaimer, what can you say? And presumably it would have been too obvious just to say that you can't, um, that you can't, um, incriminate yourself so say the itzrichle no what you need aiden for is to say itzrichle for the end of the phrase of aiden aiden is obvious but it ends by saying aiden b'nei chon and b'nei bris who make valid witnesses Valid witnesses have to be free people who are of the covenant. Free people to exclude slaves. Those are not valid witnesses, meaning uh, non-Jewish slaves, um, even though they're partly obligated in the mitzvot. And B'nai Bris of the covenant, to exclude non-Jews. Both of those are not valid witnesses. But Sricha, you need both. Now, you might have thought that once you exclude slaves who are closer because they're obligated in mitzvot, certainly you would exclude non-Jews, but not necessarily. The if you just excluded slaves from being witnesses, he's not considered to have family relationships. Okay? Halacha doesn't recognize his family relationships. Basically, he means he's on a fundamentally lower status of society. Okay? And therefore, you would think, of course, he can't testify. Like, you know, he's seen in a very different type of a societal status. Non-Jews, it happens they're not Jewish. But obviously, you know, their, their family relationships are recognized, and he's considered to be like of equal standing in society aim alone maybe he wouldn't be excluded if he just excluded the non-Jew that's because of what I was saying earlier he might be of an equal societal standing but halachically he's more distant from you he's completely not obligated in mitzvos and ever who has obligation in mitzvos aim alone maybe he shouldn't be excluded from being a slave uh, from being a, an aide you need to tell me both interestingly it doesn't tell me how we know they're excluded. It just tells me why the bright is teaching it. Okay? But anyway, fine. So that's what we have. It has to be in front of a basin. It has to be in front of kosher witnesses. Some of this might be pretty obvious. But anyway, that's certainly the shot of the bright, the bisnei basin, bisnei edin, b'nei chor, b'nei bris. It's pretty clear what it means. Now we're going to get to the end of the bright that speaks about women and mazik and nizik patash Yes, right. Michael. The end of the, the, the mission was nothing to call nizik, but this qualification for edin just says b'nei chor, b'nei bris. It doesn't exclude women. Right. Yeah, I know. Maybe it takes, you know, it could be that it's like just taking it for granted, like, you know. Of course I'm women, right. I mean, you know, you know, I don't know. But you're right. It is funny. It is funny that, right, that women get mentioned in the end, and here what's excluding who's a kosher witness, it doesn't ne- exclu- mention women. Yeah. Women are excluded. Yeah, and women are excluded. Yeah. Yeah, that's also, right. B'nai Brit specifically is, um, 
I mean, it's specifically B'nai Brit, although B'nai Brit can exclu- include Avadim, but it specifically excludes anybody that's let more distant of Mitzvot. So yeah, B'nai Noach would not, would not be relevant, would, would, would be excluded. Um, yeah, okay, so, um, uh, oh, I was going to say in terms of the women issue, that in medieval Ashkenaz, in the time, um, you know, uh, where A, women were just more active in society and they were involved in business and so on, which leads to a lot of interesting psakim that comes up in the Rishonim. They raise interesting questions about yichud and other types of questions since women are out there doing business and meeting people, etc. Anyway, so one question also comes up about accepting women's testimony in Dine Mumminus cases. And effectively, um, in, in, in medieval Ashkenaz, they, they wound up accepting women's testimony by just framing it as it's not technical edus. It's like circumstantial evidence. Yeah, or Dover. If, if somebody says it, you know, there's a good likelihood that it's true, right? And you look at the other circumstances, but, you know, it doesn't have formal laws of edus, but in practice, they wound up accepting, you know, women's testimony <coughs> in court, but by framing it as something not, as not formal edus. Um, it happened also in the beginning, of, you know, in the state of Israel when people were trying to figure out how how could we make a state that runs according to halacha and, you know, dealt with issues about testimony of women and non-Jews and so on and sort of basically, you know, saying okay, fine, we'll accept it all, we just won't call it either. Okay, what? what? I mean, uh, now, no, now they have two parallel systems. They have the Bate Din and the Bate Nishpat. I don't know what happens in the Bate Din, whether they, how they deal with women's testimony. I really don't. You know, somebody actually took a civil case to a based in Israel right now. I don't know how they deal with it. I don't know how they was in the BDA. Right? Woman says, okay, you're... Yeah, I imagine if somebody took a if somebody took a case right now to the basin of America, you know, some civil case, they agreed to go to a, the, the BDA. I assume they would accept the women's testimony, right? They would probably follow the, the, the you know, like whatever the model of medieval Ashkenaz, which is okay. Technically, it's not Adis. Technically, what do we do Adis right now? Do we do a of Chakira? You know, do we do Adim Zomanim? Like, how much do we do formal Adis nowadays anyway? All right, moving on. The Anashim Bechwal Hadnezek. Women are included in damages. What does this mean? So what? Yeah, and in, in property issues. Criminal Not criminal. But nobody deals with criminal nowadays. You know what I mean? Okay. Uh where is this from? If a man and woman does any of the sins and then, you know, and then they bring a korban because they do it beshogeg. Any types of punishments and here it's interesting, punishments here means beshogeg and mean korbano, but presumably it also means punishments for mazid, any types of punishments for transgressions, men and women are equal, apply equally. Now, Tosa says the reason it has to say this is because, basically, the whole Torah is written in the Zohar. The whole Torah is written in Tosa. The whole Torah is written in the male gender, right? It says, right, lotirtzach, right? Every, you know, everything is written in the male. It's talking, it's so, so, but nevertheless, like standard English, right? We write, we presume, if he, if he, if he, which doesn't mean that we're intending to exclude women. Women. She should not turn into Well, wouldn't it be low tier? Wouldn't it be low tier No, that would be second person. Low tier tzachi. I'll make you a joke. Forget it. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> 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 anyway, um, uh, no, I, I have the grammar right, don't I? How what would you say? You shall not commit. You, yes, you, you, second you second person shall not commit murder. Is low tier right? Okay, fine. Anyway, um, okay, I didn't remember, forget that much of my grammar. Anyway, okay, okay. Um, anyway, um, so, um, so, so. But basically, the whole Torah is written in the male gender, the same way like most, you know, most of everything out. Now people are being more 
trying to be more careful, you know, that when they sort of, when they write things and they say, you know, if someone blah blah blah, then if she, you know, just dropping in she more frequently, um, uh, you know, so that it's not the presumed male actor. Um, somebody actually told me that in Israel, you know, um, you know, basically all the laws are formulated, you know, again, I'm sure in America too, they say the standard gender formulated is in the masculine, but that they actually found that there's some principle somewhere, like in one of the, you know, you know, in Israeli law, that any law that's written in the masculine is presumed to apply to the feminine or the feminine to the masculine unless explicitly stated otherwise. So then this person who was getting like certain laws, trying to get certain laws passed by the Knesset, just wrote everything in the feminine. So so it all applies equally. Anyway, so that's what we're dealing with is that the Torah is all written in the masculine. How do we assume by default it applies to women as well? Okay, so therefore this Pasuk that says Isho Isha, so when it's anything relating to punishment, since one Pasuk says we assume he's because of Isha Ishlachol and Hashem Shabbat Torah. Today we're the, uh, the, it is, but we're, because it's Bechol, we're applying it more broadly. Today, Rebbe Lezertana, Ve'ela Mishpatim Asher Tassim Lifnehem, you shall put before them, and before them is sort of plural and not specifically masculine. So therefore, here's because of Ishel, Ishel, Chol Dinim Shabbat Torah. Any civil law in the Torah is assumed to apply equally to men and women. Today, Chizkia, so that's saying a second point. Today, Chizkia, Rebbe Yosef, Glili, Tana, Amakra, Ve'emis Isho Isha, an ox scores and kills a man or woman if they are not the subject as you would but the object they're not the person who did the sin or the person who is a litigant in a court case they are the injured party they are the person that was gored by an ox or that was murdered by someone so as an injured party men and women are treated equally okay or, um, and you need all three if you had just said the first one there when the Torah said that women bring korbanot the Torah had rachmanas on her that she should have an atonement so it says okay fine when they do sins they can bring korbanot but when it comes to civil law that a woman could be an equal litigant in civil law and it applies equally to her by a man the bar masa umatan that he is the type of person that goes out into the world and does business in yes the laws apply to him but maybe they don't apply to women she's the woman supposed to be in the home would be the presumption and therefore she would not be included by civil law. Now, what would that mean? She could damage people and not have to pay. She could borrow money and not have to pay back. I mean, but okay, we don't know. But maybe we shouldn't presume that the same laws apply because they're seen as not the primary actors. Yes, meaning dinim. If it would have just told us the law that the civil law applies to women, in order that she should be able to make a living, like Rashi says, if she, if if she's not if it protected by law, laws don't govern interactions with her. Nobody's going to want to do business with a woman because you never know what law is going to apply, or nobody, she's or she's not. Nobody's going to be protected. Okay, so obviously you need it, even though it would seem to be unusual. But you need it because sometimes it happens. Aval kapara, but when it comes to atonement. Each debar mitzvah, a man that has a, a big obligation in mitzvot, in, yes, he gets atonement. About Isha, the law bat mitzvah, okay, so much for saying women have bat mitzvahs, <laughs> a woman that is not the same degree of obligated in mitzvot, well, maybe she shouldn't. Now, that's a very strange idea. First of all, right, the, now this Gemara is a very challenging Gemara to, to our contemporary sensibilities, and it's going to get even
even more challenging. It's even going to get more challenging in a minute, okay? But it's not just saying, okay, women have a few mitzvahs that they do less than men. It really is putting them on a fundamentally lower status. Because they have fewer mitzvahs, they're called not bar mitzvah, not bat mitzvah, and therefore somehow not deserving of atonement when they sin. Yeah, whatever they do, do mitzvahs, do sins, doesn't really matter so much, or something like that. Okay, it's uh, obviously a, a disturbing hava mina. Um, and then it goes, yeah? It works for you. Works for you, okay. Uh, <laughs> even just said these two, in this case, will apply to women so that they should get an atonement. Another place so that they should be able to do business, make a living. But when it comes to being gored, now why should a woman not be able to, why should you not be liable when your ox scores a woman? What would be the Havamina? Now here's where it becomes really challenging. That's obligated in mitzvah. I would have to pay atonement payment if my ox killed a man. But Ishalot, but maybe if it only killed a woman, and since she's not really so obligated to mitzvahs, maybe I shouldn't really have to pay an atonement payment, right? So that's obviously deeply disturbing. It seems to really devalue the, the life of a woman because of this lesser obligation in mitzvot. Let's just finish. Just said you pay kofar, that's because of the ika, because there's a loss of life, so of course you're going to pay for a man or a woman. But the other two, that there's no loss of life, maybe women wouldn't be included. So it tells me, by default, women are included in all laws of the Torah, even those in the male gender, unless explicitly uh, identified otherwise. Yes? Is it possible that the, the student that she's not a barmitza, a botanist, only refers to that's what I say because the, the, the yes I mean her exemption that's what's even more troubling is that her exemption is from mitzvot say, but somehow that should translate into a lesser value of her life when she's gored or translate into not bringing atonement when she does a lotase so that's like what's so you know like Rav Moshe has this classic shiver Rav Moshe was asked at the beginning of sort of the Jewish feminist movement which is he was asked by this rabbi that he says these women in my show are you know are basically saying that the Torah you know, does it, you know, treats women as a lower status than men, you know, and, uh, and how do I respond to them? And Rav Moshe basically says, look, even though women are exempt from some mitzvot, has to show them that that should mean that we ever see them on a lower level of kedushan, on a lower status, and he sort of, you know, presents this very nice picture. But you read a Gemara like this, and the Gemara doesn't just say it's a technical question of being obligated in few mitzvot. Somehow that should mean that they, that, that when they do an Aveira, it's less meaningful. When they get killed, it's of less consequence. Yeah, the first the first is that they're they're tied in all of the Torah, which is which is all low tasks. Right. Right. Tied for every right, right, right. So, that, so, so, so the Gemara's already assuming that they're chayev. Right? Well, they are chayev, but it's somehow saying, but, but, but somehow, even though they're chayev, they're still considered not a fully bar mitzvah, like not a fully, meaning the Gemara, it's sort of Tosis's question. When the, what's the Hava mean if you don't say ish because of ish or the ish? Would it be that, that they don't get, you know, they're not, they're not covered by the lotases, or they're covered by the lotases, they just don't bring korbanot? Mm-hmm. So the Gemara is a little bit unclear about that. But you are right, in one possibility, of the Gemara, if you would have said, to read that you wouldn't have said he's because of Ishul Ish, maybe you would say that none of the Lotases apply to them, and maybe that's part of. It's a good point. Maybe that's part of why the Gemara is saying the Lav Bar Mitzvah because of 
in, in that read that you would not say Hisha Kasev Isha Leish Lecholonshim. So it wouldn't just be the Aseis; it would even apply to 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 most of the Lot Aseis. That's a possibility. Yes. The so. other thing that comes out of this I never fully realized. It sounds like the Kofar is for the benefit of the killer. Why? Right? Because it's Kapara. It's like your. That's a Gemara discussion later in the Gemara. Is Kofar Kapara or Kofar Mamona? Why? Oh, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Right. Um, and so the, the payment, first of all, who does the payment go to? So it goes to the heirs. Uh, right, so I know. It's just, person right, right. But right. In, the, in that context, like if it is, this, if, if you are paying because you need kapara, then, then you know, you can kind of understand there's a calculus of of, uh, you know, mythos being done in the world. And right. You know, I know. I, I do understand where it's coming from, but it's like disturbing, right? <laughs> By the way, just to get to the question of Kofor, Kapara, Mamona, whose value do you pay for? The, the killed person or your, or your life? Because <laughs> it's like you, your life deserves to be taken and instead of giving your life, you're giving the value of your life, right? Absolutely. So that's actually a discussion so in the Gemara, yeah. The one thing I just didn't understand in the transition here, we said that they meet each or each other. We said each, 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 so what, what would the Havamina have been that uh, oh if he killed one maybe if I would have taken that it, it should go on the puzzle that's talking about it nothing to do with the Kofar so, so in, Kofar, in Kofar you shot a love isn't that possible but maybe he would have said it's Mito and that's going on Shari Sakel if you killed a man then Shari Sakel no okay could be that too I mean I don't know Tavashi is not limiting it if you look at the it says Koloma Shechayivin Ala Misa O Kofar Kamoal Ish Dabachi Ivy Cross so not just in Kofar the Kofar and all the other things that are related I understand but we're not limited to that by the way Tosus does say that this idea of Hishar Kasev is only when they're talking about the fact that a Pasuk is in, in the masculine um, if a person explicitly says ish 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 or whatever something like that then we do presume it's talking about a man unless you have something to include a woman meaning there's a difference between being written in the masculine you know gender and just and it's saying if a man right so if it uses the word ish then it doesn't necessarily exclude women but you have to prove that women are included yeah well that's also a question right yeah I understand that. So the maskana of the sugya is nice, but the havamina is does reflect certain presumptions of women's lower status. You know. All right. So now we go on. Oh, by the way, I can't pass this up without say, spending a second to read this tosos of Asher Tafin Weeks Nehem. This is a tosos that appears throughout Shas in different contexts. Let's take a look at it. Okay, here's your cousin Ishal Ish. Tosos says Tema because another drush of the Gemara says of Asher Tafin Lifsnehem are not the people that are affected by the law the potential litigants but the people that judge the law the Dayanim so the Gemara actually reads Bifsnehem to be in front of the judges okay and says therefore you have to do it in front of Jewish judges and not non-Jewish judges okay it has to be judges with smicha not commoners so now we've got a problem if Lisnehem refers to those being judged and includes women, and Lisnehem also refers to the judges, then that should include women as judges. If Lisnehem means men and women, but but that's not true. Isha, well, all right, Isha but a woman can't be a judge. That if you can be a judge, you can be a witness. 
The Isha Psule, the woman can't be a widow, so obviously she can't be a judge. No, when it says if you're a kosher judge, you're a kosher witness, it means men who are kosher judges are kosher witnesses. Meaning, what those are saying is, maybe a woman could be a judge. She can't be a witness, but she could be a judge. Okay, so actually this tells us things that's quite, quite possible that, uh, that a woman could be a kosher dayan. Okay, and even though normally a presumption is a dayan is a kosher aid, that wouldn't be true by women. Okay, now I had to read this, of course, because my wife's tomorrow. Anyway, says that she judged Israel. Now, of course, the real reason saying Lahavi Raya is because it's talking about political leadership and not because about being a, 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 a you know, sort of a, you know, a justice uh, you have the court. But anyway, well, okay, she was a prophet. So, okay, maybe that made it an exception and they were willing to accept her as a judge. So it was sort of like, you know, because you can accept puzzle people to be your judge as a type of arbitration, binding arbitration. But that doesn't really mean that she called women. Anyway, Tosus leaves it as an open question whether a woman could be a kosher dayan, which is quite fascinating. All right, moving on in the Gemara. Yeah, so who said a woman can't have smicha? That's true. That's another point. Good point. There you go. According to that possibility, she's also getting the smicha and she's in the parsha of Elohim. It's not just kasha ladun. All right. Both the damager and the damagee are participate in the payment. Itmar. So now we're going to see what this space is onto. Now we get to a very central question about Karen that we've been referring to all along. Paul Kaniska, half, da- half damages by Karen. Yes, Papa Amar Mamona, Ravuna Braid Rav Yoshu Amar Knosser. Papa says it's compensation and Rav and um, Rav Papa and uh, whatever and Rav, and Rav Huna says no it's a fine you really should be exempt and anything you're paying is more than you you should be paying Rav Papa Amar Mamona it's Mamon that most oxen as a rule uh, cannot be presumed to be watched self-protected meaning even though it's never gored before you can't say that it doesn't need to be watched okay and it's even a, even a ox that has never gored still needs to be, you need to keep your eye on it. And if you don't keep your eye on it and it goes and gores, there's an element of negligence there. Okay? So, um, uh, I'm sorry. So, therefore, since there is an element of negligence, you should be paying full. But the Torah has a little Rahmanus on you. Because it has not been gone through the Moor process, it hasn't done it three times, which means you're right at the edge. You know, technically, there was negligence. But it was still pretty unlikely that it would happen. But it was just likely enough that you should have been watching. So there's a small degree of negligence. But because it's right at the edge, the Torah is going to go easy on you and make you only have to pay half. Okay? But it's mama. You really were negligent. You are really paying for damages that you are to blame for. Okay? Uh, that's his opinion. Uh, a normal ox, you can presume, will be protected, will from going out and damaging. Does not require you to keep your eye on it. Um, and therefore, you're not negligent. You really shouldn't have to pay at all. The Torah find you. To get you to be more careful watching your oxen. Maybe 
be certainly more careful if you did if you already were if it had already damaged. But maybe in general, get everybody to up their level of care. The fact that you know that you're going to have to pay half, even though you could say, look, you know, tech, I, I wasn't negligent. It's fine you weren't negligent, but we're going to tell you you have to pay half anyway, and that's going to get everybody to do a higher level of care than the strict law would have demanded, and that would prevent a certain amount of damage from occurring. So the easiest way to see it is that they're both agreeing that this is right on the line. Something that you only pay half, clearly it's in some gray zone. One just says it's a little bit above the line and the Torah is going easy on you, and the other says it's a little bit below the line and the Torah is going a little bit harder on you. Yes? I, I'm, I'm, <clears throat> I get the parallelism, but I'm bothered by the second Rachmana. Why isn't it date the concept? Because it's in the Torah. The Torah says you pay half. We're trying to understand what's behind the Torah's judgment that you pay, a ruling that you pay half. Really Basin imposes the knot, but the Torah is the one that creates the law. But, 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 can the, can the, can the Beitian impose a knas in general if it's not backed up by... Uh, yes, I mean, Chazal can make their own knasos. Yeah. Okay, but when we're saying knas, but we can identify things in the Torah. So here we're... Right. a different level of knas here. In yeah, I mean, it's the Torah knas. I mean, yes. They think Chazal can make up their own knasos as yeah. well, but that's not what we're talking about. Yeah. Oh, so you want to say a strict a question of strict liability. Yeah. So that's a good question. What Michael is saying is, and I'll just mention and go on, it's a question we raised from day one of Baba Kama, which is do you fundamentally start by an idea of strict liability, and the only reason that you're putter is because you're claimed to be an unus, or do you start from an idea, no, 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 I'm only chayev if I was negligent and my negligence led to it. So the obviously nafkamina is the cases that are a little bit gray, if you start by strict liability, I'm sorry, buddy, you can't claim unus. If Whereas if you start from a position of negligence, you know, say, well, since you clear, you weren't clearly negligent, you're exempt. So that's a very good point. A case that's like this, that's right at the border, you could say, if I start from strict liability, I'm going to have to pay because I can't claim that it was I was honest. If I start from a question of that I'm exempt until you can prove negligence, I shouldn't have to pay. So that's a, that is a very nice way of saying it. I don't think that that's necessarily in the words of the Gemara, but I, but I agree with you that that is a core question to be asking throughout Baba Kama. Okay, so now the Gemara says, like this. Um, now, the Mishnah says here that the Nizak and the Mazik both participate in paying for the damage. So we assume that means when you pay half, everybody loses half. You, I lose half of, of my cow that I don't get compensated for, and you pay me for half of my cow. So we both participated or in paying for the damage. Available, right? All right, one minute. We'll get to that. Okay, so, if, if it's real compensation, so you should be paying me full, but instead of you paying me full, I'm essentially paying for half of my own loss. So So that's why I'm participating in the payment, because I'm not getting fully paid. So I essentially am paying for half of my own loss. But if you really don't owe me anything, so then everything I get is a windfall, because technically you should be fully exempt. So if I'm getting half of something that I don't deserve, because you really aren't negligent. But what does it mean that I am paying for my own loss? Now I still am out my cash. Now, okay, but it was a phrase, so clearly at the end of the day, I did lose half of the value of something I own due to no fault of my own, okay, but nevertheless, it's not like I paid for the tashlumi because there was no tashlumi to be paid. It was all stuff I didn't deserve, okay? Now, um, so the Messiah says, Fine, according to that read, that it's uh, knas, 
the idea that I participate in payment is coming to be this other halacha that we taught that I'm left with the carcass and any depreciation of the carcass I have to suffer so even though your ox scored mine and you should be paying me if it, the carcass continues to deteriorate nevertheless I participate in the payment because I suffer the loss of the value of the carcass one minute we taught that in an earlier Mishnah that was a phrase of Tashlumi Nezek which we said earlier the phrase of that Mishnah meant that I have to suffer the loss of the, uh, the depreciation of the carcass no one is talking about when my ox was gored by a tam and one when it was gored by a muad and you need to tell me in both cases I, I own the carcass and suffer the loss so of course you know we're going to go easier on the mazik because his ox hasn't been warned so I the nizak will have to suffer the loss of the of the of the of the of the, of the depreciation of the carcass of muad but when the ox is gored multiple times we won't go so easy on the mazik maybe the mazik has to suffer the loss the yashmin and muad if it's only by muad the mazik suffers the loss I suffer the loss because the mazik is paying full so at least we could do if the mazik is paying full let me suffer the loss but by the, fir- by the first three times since he's only paying half let him suffer the loss tell me whether Tom or Muad I suffer the loss okay so that's two ways of reading it's obviously a more elegant read to say that when half is paid it's like they're both losing out half but the Gemara says conceptually even though it's always true they're both losing out half conceptually what that means is it fits the idea that Pagan is Mamona that he owes me the full amount and I essentially am getting and paying for half of what's owed to me alright now we're going to try to deal with this question of whether Pagan is Mamona or Knasa um come here ma bein tam lemuach tam shalim chasi nezek migufo umud mashalim nezek shalim inalia what's the difference between tam and muach tam pays half from the body of the animal, and a muad pays full from the aliyah, from like the best property or whatever, okay, or from the attic or whatever, meaning it does not pay out of the body of the animal. If there was also this halacha that half damages is a knas, then we should point out other differences between half and full. The least ninami hatam you don't pay by self-admission because it's a knas. One of the consequences of being a knas, like we said, is you don't pay by self-admission. Muad mashalim apiatsmo, and muad does. So since it did not cave the case of self-admission as a difference, it seems like it is mamon that it's not really fundamentally a different type of payment. Mrs. Tanavashir, yeah, fine, it should have said that, but it's an incomplete list. My shear, different if you it. Yeah, if you admit that my ox scored, then yes, the knas, you don't have to pay. My shear, that's what it means by being a knas. My shear, the high shear. What else was left off the list? Shear chazi kofer. It's left off the list kofer. By a muad, you pay full. And by a time, you don't pay half kofer. You pay nothing. What's so, meaning that you don't pay chazi kofer. So, one, another difference between time and muad is that time is full and muad is, uh, muad is full and time is half. Muad pays kofer and time pays no kofer. Okay? Even if you chazi kofer last year, but you can't prove that that means that something was left off the list because there is somebody that says a chazi kofer actually you do pay. How many we have those? Fine. So, there is an opinion that you do pay chazi kofer. It's not clearly left off the list. But anyway, this fact 
that it did not identify knas as a basis of difference of Tom and Muad seems to be a good indication that it's Mamon, but the Gemara says maybe it's an incomplete list. Tashma. Let's try to prove it again. Here's a case of admitting. I admit that my ox gored somebody. Okay, gored, um, or it, um, and then it would be paying kofar. Or it gored somebody's ox. I have to pay based on my own admission. So my love the Tom, presumably, we didn't say only by a muah, presumably we're talking even about a Tom. And I would pay by my own admission that my ox gored. So you see that it's mamon, it's not knaf. No, the muad. No, maybe we're talking about a muad, and that's why you're paying on your own admission. So the says one minute. What would you say, therefore, if that's talking about a muad, and you want to say that tam is a knas? Would you say if it was a case of a tam, I wouldn't pay? Yihachi, at a time he says at the end of that bright that says, If I admit not to kofar, and not to nezek, but I admit that it ordered a slave, what do you pay by a slave? You pay 30 shekel, that's a knas. So it says, if I admit that it got a slave, then I don't pay on my own admission. That's a knas. So what the point of this is, it, it, the text is doing, is it's contrasting when I admit to tashlumim, I pay based on my own admission. When I admit to a knas, I don't. So it says, why are we contrasting it to talking about goring a sla- an ox versus goring a slave? Why don't we just contrast it between admitting to a case of a muad versus admitting to a case of a tam? When does my own admission obligate me? The muad. Let it tell me that if it gored an ox and it was a tam, I wouldn't, that that's a knaf. So again, the fact that the only knaf it can find is the case of a slave seems to be saying that a case of a tam goring is not a knaf. It says, no, we want to talk about contrasting cases of muad. We're not dealing with the tam scenario. Tam is also a knaf. But we're not talking about tam, we're talking about muad. All right, let's try to read one more case. Tashma zeklau kol meshalim yoter amashizik ain't meshalim al piatzmo. Here's a, this is a really important brayta. Here's a way to know if something is mamon or knas. How do you know? If you're paying more than damages, that's knas. Okay, call him a shalim yoter like like kefel. Call him a shalim yoter amashizik ain't meshalim al piatzmo. If it's more, then you don't pay by your own admission. That's knas. So listen, so um I skip a line? My love, presumably if you pay less, Mishale, that is Mamon. It's not full Mamon, but it's Mamon if you pay less. So that seems to be another proof that it's Mamon. Well, no. No, if you pay exactly the same amount, that's Mamon. Okay, but more or less is Knas. So the Gemara says, one minute. So you would tell me less than the full amount. You would tell me that you don't pay on your own admission? That if whether more or less, it's knas? If that's true, then it gave me the wrong rule. Why did it tell me the rule? Why did it say the rule was, if you pay more, you don't pay by your own admission? That more than the amount of damages is knas. The more precise rule would have been what? 
What's the more precise rule? Anytime you don't pay, the exact amount is knas. Listeni zeklau. Kosheinu mishalim kimashi hizik. Tell me, if you're not paying the exact amount, demash mapachos umash mayoseh, which you're telling me more or less than the exact amount is knas. You're right, that's a complete contradiction. It shows from that brighter that chasi nezek is is mamon that if you're not paying more it's mamon and aknas and then the Gemara does its great thing the Hilchus said now that we've proven that chasi nezek is mamon pargeniska knasa we rule that pasi nezek is knas <laughs> so the Gemara says the Hilchusa, you just showed me a contradiction and now you're ruling that way so the Gemara says in yes time of my why did we think it was such a contradiction because Mishum the Loktani it didn't say that anytime you don't pay exact damages, it's knaf. And because it didn't say that, it sounded like less would be mamon. No. It's that that would not have been a rule. Lopesikale, that's not always true. There are times when you pay less than full and it's mamon. What's the time you pay less than full and it's mamon? Not by a goring ox. Kivan de ikachati nezek tsroros. Remember our half damages of tsroros? Of the pebbles that get kicked? So that is a case where you were fully negligent. Right? There was, the reason there was not lack of negligence, it was just indirect. It was the animal's koach and not the direct body of the animal. So there there's a half payment, but it actually is mamon. Okay? The hilchaza gemirila de mamonahu. We have a tradition that that is mamon. Therefore, it didn't say. So, what are we saying? When you pay more, kefal arbevehe, it's always knas. When you pay less, sometimes it's mamon. Sometimes you really are obligated, but we're letting you off easy. What would be an example of that? Chatinezik troros, where you had full negligence, but because it was indirect, it was the pebbles or whatever, you're only going to pay half. How about chatinezik knas? Is that mamon? Is that knas? That's not clear from that bright though. What's clear from that bright is sometimes when you pay less, it's mamon. But whether chatinezek of, of a goring ox is mamon or knas, that's not clear from that Braita and the Gemara actually rules that we're going to rule that it's Knas even though all the evidence seemed to be Mamon we managed to get out of all the evidence and we left it as an open possibility and we're going to actually rule that it's Knas and we are going to pick up tomorrow which discussing the implications of that ruling that Chatinez Karen is Knas so we'll pick up with that tomorrow